0: (laughs) thanks mike and you guys can all slouch back down and just relax at this point um so i'm just so happy to be with you all this morning i love you you're my church family and we're gonna unpack an exciting story so if you've been with us for the last seven or actually way more than weeks several months we've been unpacking the acts of the holy spirit through the apostles And today is going to mark a pause in that series. For the next seven weeks, we're going to take a look as we approach Easter during the season of Lent, the God who sees. So we're going to look at themes of seeing, seeing each other, letting ourselves be seen or not be seen, how we see God, how we see ourselves. And I think that a perfect starting point for us today is going to be with Hagar. She represents a story that is all about the God who sees us, sees our hurts, our hearts, our hopes, our brokenness, our longings, our suffering, sees it all, even in the dark. And God says, arms wide open, I love you. I'm not not going anywhere. So if you'll turn with me to chapter 16, Genesis chapter 16, how many of you are familiar with Hagar's story? A couple of you, actually. It's pretty good. But it wasn't until I first went to seminary that this story was unpacked for me in a little deeper of a way, and it was kind of powerful for me. So I want you to just listen, listen in to Hagar's story to us. Genesis chapter 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, "'You see that the Lord has prevented me "'from bearing children. "'Go into my slave girl. "'It may be that I shall obtain children by her.' And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived.' And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, "'May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave girl to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me.' But Abram said to Sarai, "'Your slave girl is in your power. Do to her as you please.'" Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she ran away from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He shall be a wild ass of a man with his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall live at odds with all his kin. So she named the Lord who spoke to her. You are El-Rahi, for she said, Have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Ber-Lahai-Rahi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. My friends, this is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Kind of an interesting story, huh? Like I said, it wasn't until I really was in an Old Testament class in seminary unpacking the significance of the story that it really struck me deeply. I think for some of us, if you hear uh, Hagar's story, you're kind of like, what, come again? It's not really a popular story that we hear in Sunday school, right, for obvious reasons. But it just hit me because there's this part where this slave girl gives a name to God. She says, you are El-Rohi. El-Rohi, the God who sees me. I want you to say El-Rohi. One more time like you mean it. El-Rohi, the God who sees me. Now, I don't know about you, but I have some mixed emotions of being seen. Some good, some not so good. I have to think about my childhood and I have these feelings of really not being seen as a kid. And it makes sense. I was three of four kids. Uh, I lost my dad when I was four years old. My mom was kind of buried in her grief. And so it makes sense that I may not have had eyes on me at all times. But I remember this one instance at at a wedding, actually, like a big 1980s wedding, being put on a table and being like, sing. They They told me to sing. Sing something from Annie. All eyes on me. <sighs> I'm not going to do it. It's tempting. Nope. Not going to do it. The sun will come. Just kidding. So, so as a kid, that was great. That was great. But as, as I reflect on this as an adult, it kind of reiterated that you've got to do something. You've got to entertain me or perform for me to see you. Now, I don't know about you but you might have some mixed reactions to being seen too. When you think about your childhood, what comes up for you? Were you seen? Did you feel invisible? What about now in your current context? Do you feel seen, really seen by other people here, your church family? What about by God? Do you feel seen by God? Now I believe that God has a lot to say to us today about being seen, particularly through Hagar's story. It's a story about being seen, isn't it? It's about the person least likely to be seen in her culture, a person that would have been overlooked completely, and yet that's the person, the slave, the foreigner, the outcast, the unworthy one who is seen by God. So let's go back to the story, Genesis 16. Who was Hagar? She was a woman, obviously. She was Egyptian, so in Canaan, she she would have been a foreigner. She was a slave. And you really can't get much lower than that socially, unless you want to throw in like leprosy or something. Ultimately, she's powerless, even over her, her own body, as we will later see with Sarai and how she gets treated. In the previous chapter, chapter 15, we read about this covenant, this beginning of this covenant exchange between God and Abram. And they're promised many descendants. And so it makes sense. Sarai is growing a little impatient, decides to take matters into her own hands to move things along. And that's where she brings in her slave girl. Now, it's important to note that this type of arrangement would not have been abnormal for the ancient world. This, was, this sounds shocking to us, like, what is going on here? But this would have been very normal because for women, this was a huge shame. If you could not have children, there was nothing worse. So, we're talking a little bit more about being seen and conceiving. Sarah's plan worked But then the relational dynamics begin to kind of unravel. Hagar begins to view Sarai differently. So the text says Sarai became slight in Hagar's eyes. Hagar's perception of Sarai diminishes, right? We see this hierarchical reordering takes place. Like, I'm worthy. I've got value. I'm pregnant. (laughs) However, Sarai will not have it. And then we read this accusatory dialogue, which some of you kind of chuckled at, right? It doesn't make sense. What are you getting so mad about? It's not Abram's fault, it's your fault. Keep in mind that the word used here for how Sarai treats Hagar, she's given this green light to treat her harshly. The same Hebrew word is used to describe how the Egyptians treated the Israelites when they were in bondage. This was oppression. This was abuse. This was severe. And it was so bad, in fact, this pregnant foreign slave girl decides to hightail it to the wilderness because that's a better option than this. And it's in this place, in this wilderness, in this desert that she is seen by God. And both are given a new name. So let's explore this first point Hope is found in being seen. Hope is found in being seen. I hope you're taking notes, and if you're not a note taker, start being a note taker today. Hope is found in being seen. Take a look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her. Found her! Not simply appeared to her, showed up. The word found, what does it imply? It implies a searching, a looking for, maybe something lost, Hagar is found. Remember, we're not talking about more, we're talking about more than just being noticed or acknowledged here. It's something something for God to say, I see you, playing hide and seek. But it's another thing for God to say, I've been looking for you, and I see you. God's pursuit of Hagar was a search in order to be known. We hear this in the way that God addresses her. Verse 8, Hagar, stop, Hagar. She's called by her name for the first time in our text. Did you catch that? Abram and Sarai had yet to utter her actual name, simply referring to her as slave girl, creating this distance from her as a human being, reiterating this relational void between them, what she was to them, an object for their use means to an end. However, here, she has an identity. Her personhood is restored. The seeing wasn't solely in God finding her. It was also in calling her name, Hagar. Do we know each other's names here? Do you know the the person that greeted you? It's powerful if we know each other's names, right? Let me see We're here: Ali, Charlotte, Andrew, Peyton, Caitlin Willis, Susie, Bob. I'm making names up now. <laughs> um, it's powerful when when people remember our names, right? But we kind of don't expect them to in our culture. Like when you meet somebody, you're like, "Hi, I'm." It kind of just trails off. We don't we don't remember like immediately when you meet somebody. Hi, I'm blank. But it's shocking, right? When somebody remembers your name the first time, like after they've met you once, it's kind of like, whoa, you remember my name? Names are powerful. The God of the universe knows her, this foreign slave girl, and calls her by her name. This is an important aspect to feeling seen, isn't it? And God goes even further. Listen to the questions God asks her. Where are you going and where are you coming from? Where are you going and where are you coming from? This is incredible. God takes a moment to ask her about her life. Where are you going? What's your story? What's your hope? God surely knew the answer to these questions, and yet he inquires anyway. And we see this same thing modeled in the life of Jesus over and over again. Jesus was always probing people with questions. What do you want me to do for you? What's your name? Do you want to be healed? Who are you looking for? Because, friends, isn't there something powerful about voicing your suffering, your experience, your celebrations that helps you feel seen? God knows this. There's this relational connection, this exchange of speaking and having somebody hear you and listen. And God gives space to her story. Today some of us might desire to feel seen, but maybe on a surface level kind of way. We don't want to be seen or looked at, or we want to be seen or looked at in like the best light, you know? Like the sunset golden glow lighting. Like, that's good. Let me be seen in that lighting. Let me project a certain image of myself. But don't even think about 5 a.m. overhead fluorescent lighting. Like, i got to take my mouth guard out and have a cup of coffee. Who are my mouth guard people? Be seen. Be seen. Get that hand up there. Right? Like, I knew Mike loved me when he saw, I was like, I wear a mouth guard. It was too late. We were married. So, no backing out now. Mm, 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 mm. (laughs) But I'm going to do something. Okay? I want us to practice something right now. Okay? And it might be a little bit uncomfortable. Can you lock the doors, JT? Lock those doors. No one is leaving. You know what? Participate with me and this will be over really fast, okay? This is gonna be one minute. I want you to pair up right now, pair up. Pair up with somebody, turn towards each other. Do it, 100% participation. Find somebody. Jason, come on, find somebody, let's go. Quickly. Now I want you to look at each other in the eye. The faster you, you find a partner, the faster this will be over. Okay. Ready? Hold on. Look each other in the eye. Now, this is not a staring contest. You're allowed to blink. Okay? But look at each other in the eye. And I, here's the thing. I don't want you looking at noses or hair or a cheeks. Like, really look at each other in the eyes. Okay? For 15 seconds, you're holding this. 15 seconds. Hold on. I haven't counted down yet. People are stopping. Is somebody making out? Okay. No, no, no. Hold on. Okay. So look at each other. Here we go, I'm counting us down quietly, silence, 15 seconds, don't look away, hold it and start. Shh. And scene. Oh, my goodness. How did that feel? Right? I'm getting a clap back there. (laughs) How did that feel? Was that weird? Was that weird? A little uncomfortable? Somebody was about to kiss? If you were single, you're welcome. You may have just met your new spouse or your future spouse. Did anybody whisper, I see you, in a creepy way? I thought I saw that happen but some of us have such resistance to this, don't we? Oh, and we weren't even talking yet. We weren't even sharing our stories yet. We were just holding eye contact. We really don't do this that often. Even with those we're close to, Mike was telling me he does this with marital counseling. Spouses often don't even look each other in the eye. It's powerful. And I have found this time and time again to be true, that when somebody is telling me something about their life, their struggle and experience, that it's this space of holding eye contact that often precedes tears. Walls, walls get broken down because there's something powerful about seeing and being seen, huh, Bob? So good. Don't look away. Don't look away. It takes courage. Every day of our lives, we have the opportunity to be seen, or to hide. We're confronted with the temptation to run back to those counterfeit safe places of busyness and consumerism and screen time and I gotta buy this and... But if we find that if we don't retreat, we put down our phones, we log off, we enter in, believing that we were made for more, we'll find that truly being seen and seeing the other is exactly what we were made for. I love this quote, tell me your story and I'll tell you mine. You bring the bread and I'll bring the wine. You said it, you said it people, Presbyterians. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah we laugh yeah <laughs> oh you tell me your story I'll tell you mine you bring the bread and I'll bring the wine or if it's, it's LA it's like vegan gluten-free pizza and celery juice which I don't know why celery juice is such a thing so somebody can tell me that afterwards but that sounds kind of good actually if it's my house it's tacos and margaritas so Mary Beth oh somebody applauded that thank you thank and amen but Hagar in the worst of circumstances found hope Hope in being seen by God, a God who found her, who called her by name and asked questions about her life. Hagar found hope in being seen, and Hagar found hope in a name. Imagine, oops, skipping a page, Hagar found hope in a name. Yes, we know that that God called Hagar by her name, but then something amazing happens here. God gives Hagar a new name. No, he doesn't change Hagar into Hagaraham, like we see later in chapter 17 of Genesis, Abram and Sarai get their names changed, Abraham and Sarah. But instead, God names her future, names her hope by naming her son Verse 11, you shall call him Ishmael. Do you know what Ishmael means? It literally means God hears. God hears. The significance of this name for this ancient woman would have been huge. The one whose society has silenced, the one lower than low. The one with no power, no voice, hears this name Ishmael. God hears. Now, he proceeds to lay out a rather interesting description about Ishmael, but this is a response into what he's heard. He will be a wild ass of a man, he'll be untamable. For us today, we might be like, that sounds a little harsh, like I don't know if I want to be described that way or have a son that's going to be described that way, but for this woman to hear these words, this description about her son would have been huge. Her son would not share the same fate as his mother. He would be no slave. He would be oppressed by no one. He would be strong, outspoken, unbridled. That brought hope for her that brought a future for her now if you notice back in verse 8 god asks her two questions did anybody pick up that she answered just one question she didn't answer answer the second question the second question was where are you going and she doesn't answer this because she has envisioned no future i don't have hope for the future i don't know where i'm going i don't even know if i will make it through the day Hearing the name Ishmael brought hope, tremendous hope for her future. Imagine Hagar in this moment, stunned by this exchange. God has given her a future. It would make perfect sense if she were speechless or like uttered some thanks or you know, busted out in some praise. But instead, Hagar does something that's very rare in the scriptures. She gives God a name. She gives God a name. You are El-Rahi. You are the God who sees me. You see me. I imagine that for years, Hagar probably didn't name God that. She probably had so many names for God that didn't conjure up hope. But in this divine meeting, she finally sees. She's given new sight, a new perspective, a new vision for who God really is. The God who sees me. And I recognize that for some of you today, you might have another name for God. That doesn't reflect much hope. The God who is disappointed in me, the God who is angry at me, the God who is silent, the God who doesn't see me, the God who delays, who is distant, on and on. But maybe you've been given a false identity about who you are, unlovable, a failure, a fraud, overlooked, never good enough, and so in turn, you've given God that false identity. But let me remind you this morning, friends, of who God is, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, the God who sees you, and the God who calls you by name. Like Hagar, you are seen by God, God hears your story and has hope for you. And that hope begins in a name for you, beloved, one who is deeply loved by God, child, daughter, son. Yes, hope is found in the seeing and hope is found in the naming of who God calls you to be. One who is unconditionally, unwaveringly, eternally loved. We need to constantly remind each other about the truth of our identity. And that's why we're always talking about it and preaching about it because we are so quick to forget this core thing about who we are. You are seen by God. God knows you. God hears you. And he has a hope and a future for you. My hope for us as a community this Lent season and beyond is that we would see each other. Really see each other, hear each other's stories, be a safe place, and we would look out for people who might not feel seen, who might feel invisible, that we would go after and find them and see them and remind them of who they are. We can start by these two basic questions that God gives us Where have you come from? And where are you going? Or said another way, what is your story? What hope do you have? Friends, people don't remember their best day online or their best day watching TV. I mean, some of you do. The marvelous Miss Maisel, that's a good one. People don't remember those things, they remember deep connection. They remember a really good conversation where they felt seen and heard. They remember you. And let me tell you something. If you feel seen by God right now, and I know some of you do, that is a gift. And you know what your job is now? To make sure that the person in front of you and behind you and beside you feel that they are seen by God. That is your job and my job. The good news is this, that God sees you, that God hears you, that God knows you and has a hope and a future for you. And for Hagar, her hope was in a name, Ishmael. That name promised her future, a future worth living for. But friends, our hope, our hope is in another name, isn't it? Our hope is in the name that is above, above every other name. Jesus, Jesus, God who saves. And at that name, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. Jesus is Lord. Will you pray with me? God, you are El Rahi, the God who sees. You see, you see it all, and you still call us beloved. You still call us to your embrace and to your hope. God, I pray that we would know deeply as we leave today that we are seen, truly seen, and deeply loved by you. And God, help us. Give us the courage to really see each other To not look away, to enter in, to deep and authentic community. God, I pray as our heads hit the pillow tonight that this would still resound in our hearts and in our minds, that you see us, that you love us, and that you have a hope and a future for all of us. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.